What a blessing to be here. I am absolutely excited about it. My wife and I are, have been excited about uh, as it was nearing, and, and uh, we love to come to Valley Bible Baptist Church and be with Brother McMath and his family. Uh, pray for him every single morning. Um, I, I was talking to my dear friend, Brother Woodward, last night, preacher friend of mine, and he said, where are you at? And I said, New Mexico. He said, oh, yeah, that's right. He said, that's one of your favorite places, isn't it? And, uh, and it is. It's one of our favorite places to be. And um, I, I really, my wife and I, we really wanted to move here. I'm serious and be a, a part of this church. And uh, Mrs. McMath was afraid I'd be a bad influence on her husband. So <laughs> we, we didn't. Uh, <laughs> the Lord just wouldn't, uh, wouldn't let us uh, have peace about coming. But I sure wanted to and still want to. And, uh, but I love your pastor. I'm telling you, if I was anywhere close to this place, uh, this is where I'd be a member. At. And uh, your know, pastor said some very, very nice things about me, and I appreciate that. But uh, my, wife, uh, my wife got feeling bad this morning. She was getting ready to come, showered and everything, and got a little dizzy and not feeling well. And so uh, she laid back down, feels really bad for not being here this morning. So you have to come back tonight. It's a requirement. We're going to have you sign a paper before you leave. That you'll, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, you'll, you'll want to meet her if you've never met her before. Uh, but do, do not ask her to confirm all those nice things the preacher said about me, all right? And, uh, but I, I'm hoping that she'll be able to come tonight, and uh, she sure wants to be here. So uh, just pray that she'll be feeling well enough by this evening to come. And uh, I love to have her in the service. She is my prayer warrior. And... Uh, 46 years that she's put up with me, uh, but uh, I, I love to have her in the service. When we were in college, uh, preachers used to comment, you know, man, I just love to preach and see your wife. She just lights up during the preaching, and, and uh, she's always been that way and has a great love for the Lord. So anyway, thrilled to be here, looking forward to these next few nights together. Please don't miss. Try to be here. And, you know, honestly, as crazy as things are in our world today, and in our country today, I'm telling you, there's not one problem that could not be solved if we'd follow this book. Not one. And if you really believe that, why would you want to miss any of it? You know, you won't be here and see what the Lord might speak to our hearts about. And I'm not going to say anything that nobody's ever said before. Uh, but God uses the matter of preaching. Uh, to speak to our hearts, remind us of things maybe we've heard of before, but just need that, push that reset button and get in line and, and uh, those kind of things. So I sure want to encourage you to make it out for each of the services throughout the week, and, and I'm looking forward to every part of it. Again, church, thank you for being so good to my wife and I. Uh, you've been an incredible blessing, and of course, as Pastor mentioned, we're dear friends. We talk on the phone quite often, and uh, we, we usually solve the world's problems in a matter of 15 minutes. Uh, but uh, he's, he's just been become a, a real dear friend. I want you to open your Bibles, if you, would, my, if you would mind, stand with me when you find Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. We just came from Dubuque, Iowa. I preached a missions conference there. It was freezing cold. When we left there, it was coming up to 70 degrees. So I understand it's supposed to get cold here, so it may be my fault, I, I don't know, but uh, Luke chapter 8. 
I've been in the ministry 44 years. I grew up a preacher's kid, uh, being in church. And I want to tell you, it's never gotten old to me to hear how God can change a life. It's never gotten old to me. I still love to see people's lives changed by the grace of God. I love to hear the stories of people's testimony. I've never gotten tired of hearing it. And we're going to look at one this morning that is one of the most amazing transformations that you'll read in the Bible. In Luke chapter 8, verse 26, it says, And they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils long time, and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him with a loud voice, said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God, most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. I always find that a little bit humorous that he says, Lord, please don't torment me, when he's living the most tormented life anybody could live. He says, For he had, had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for oftentimes it had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he brake the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he, he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. And there was there an herd of many swine feeding on the mountain, and they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them. And he suffered them. Then, he, then went the devils out of the man, entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. And when they that uh, fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told it in the city and in the country. And then they went out to see what was done, and they came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They also which saw it told them by what means that he, he that was possessed of the devil uh, was healed. Then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him to depart from them. For they were taken with great fear. And he went up into the ship and returned back again. Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. And I want to preach for a little bit this morning on the saving of a savage. Let's ask the Lord's help. Our Heavenly Father, we are nothing without thee, Lord. We desperately need you. Thank you for being such a wonderful God that would love us so that you'd even send your own son to go through the agony of Calvary that we could be forgiven and saved and that we could have a life with thee, Lord, and be able to live under your blessing. And Lord, we need you today. And I don't know anybody's heart condition here, Lord. You know everybody's heart condition. So please be in charge. And I pray, Lord, for those that are here this morning not sure if they died where they're going to spend eternity. Would you make it very clear to them today that they could trust Jesus and escape an eternity in hell and have an eternity in heaven awaiting them and a blessed life here. And Lord, for those of us that are saved, help us to never get over what you've done for us.
And help us to realize our responsibility while we're here until we see thee. We need you, Lord. We ask you to work in hearts. As I yield, please fill me and do me. Well, thank you for what you do. Seal decisions for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus had asked his disciples to get on a boat with him on a ship to sail to the other side. They had no idea what they were about to experience, but the Lord knew. And we oftentimes read that passage, but we don't connect the two, that when Jesus got onto that ship, he went into the hinder part of the ship and he fell asleep on a pillow. His disciples were with him. There were other little ships, the Bible said, and, and this horrendous storm came. It didn't catch Jesus off guard. He knew what was coming. He knows everything. And this horrendous storm comes and it begins to fill in the ship. The waves were so powerful, they began to fill in the ship on the Sea of Galilee that day. So much so that these men who were fishermen and had been on the Sea of Galilee most of their life, they began to fear for their own life. They didn't think they would make it. They went back, they woke up the Lord and said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he awoke and he stood up and he looked at the wind and the seas and rebuked the wind and the seas and he said, Peace be still. And they calmed. And then they looked at each other and said, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and seas obey him? That was the trip they're making across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. On the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they had no idea exactly why they were going there. They were just going with the Lord, but the Lord knew why he was going there. And here was this crazy, demon-possessed man there in the, in the place called Gadara, just on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. These disciples did not know what they were going to experience. It was a storm like they had never seen. And they were going to see a solution like they had never considered. And then they were going to meet a savage like they had never met. You know, sometimes men have been warned to be careful about sharing much of their past of their life and their testimony. And I understand that we do not glory in our past sin. But I want to tell you this, it's a wonderful thing to see how far God has brought somebody and what he's rescued them from. And I'm thankful the Lord put this story in the word of God. I'm always amazed and I love to hear, I'm telling you there is no life that God's power cannot transform, that his grace is not willing to transform if we come to him. When I was growing up as a teenager, my dad was out of the ministry for a period of time for health reasons, and, and our pastor would every year have evangelist Jim Cook come and preach. Man, we were all excited because I, I, I connected with Jim. I just loved him, and tremendous evangelist, and, and uh, we would even in our, our public uh, high school, we had a, a hillside that we would run up and down for football, and on top of it was a big water tower, and us in our youth group, we'd go up and paint, paint that water tower and advertise the Jim Cook revival meetings coming. And uh, Jim would come and preach every year, and he had a great influence on me as a teenager. I just had uh, contact with him recently. But Brother Cook's testimony is amazing. When I was pastoring a number of years ago in Michigan, I had Brother Cook come and preach to our church. Well, he grew up in Detroit. And so I said, would you like to go up and see your old neighborhood? He said, man, it's been a lot of years since I've been up there. Well, Jim, when he was growing up in Detroit as a 14-year-old, he was packing a pistol. 
and he was running around with a bad, bad crowd. When I took him up there, we're going down the, I'm talking about the, the, the hood, and we're going down the road, and he says, yeah, you see that alleyway right there? He says, that's, a, I, I shot a boy one day in that alleyway. He said, I, I don't think he died. I'm not sure what happened to him. Uh, we saw the blood trail, but they drug him off. His friends drug him off. That's the way he grew up, rough. He said, Brother Booth, he said, that, that empty lot right there is where my house used to be. He said, the house next to it, that's where, where the Jones lived. He said, I wonder if Mrs. Jones could still be there. I'm thinking, surely, Jim, she's not still there. He said, pull over, let's go see. So we get out and we, we walk up and we stand there. The door opens up and it's this dear old, old, old black lady. And she looks like this, and Jim said, Miss Jones, is that you? He said, it's Jimmy. She looked, and she said, Jimmy Cook ought to slap you, boy. <laughs> and she hugged him and invited him in, and we went in the house, and we were sitting there, and we, they began to reminisce, and Jim used to run with her son all the time in the streets. And he asked about him, he said, how's he doing? She said, oh, Jimmy, you didn't hear, did you? He said, no, I didn't hear. Oh, she said, you know, he got all tied up in the drug crowd. And he said he owed a lot of money to a dealer. And that dealer came one night, to, or one day to his wife and said, listen, tonight you put the pillow over his head. I'm going to give you this pistol. You kill him in the night or we're coming for your children. And she said, so Jimmy, he, his wife killed him in the night. That's what he grew up in. But Jim Cook, when he gave his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ in his 20s, God transformed his life. And he went from that to being an evangelist that now is 82 years old and he's still traveling and preaching. He said, he said somebody asked me, well, when do you, what's your retirement plan, program? He said, sudden death. <laughs> but how the Lord can change life. I want to tell you something. I don't know anything about who you might be sitting here this morning, but I'm going to tell you, there is no life that God could not change if you let him. What the grace of God could do in a life if we just let him. And he desires to do that for me. I've never gotten used to anybody saying no to him. I'm always thinking, why? Why would you live a miserable life where the Lord has such a blessed life he could give you? A preacher friend of mine was preaching and, and uh, he called me on the phone. He said, hey, Brother Booth. He said, I just got back from preaching in Delaware. He said, amazing church there. He said, man, the preacher told me, we're not praying for revival. We're in the middle of revival. I said, no kidding. He said, yeah. I said, man, I didn't even know anybody could get saved in Delaware. <laughs> he said, well, man, it's amazing what the Lord's doing in this church. And the pastor had just been there about three years and about three-fourths of the church, he said it's packed out, but about three-fourths of the church are former drug addicts. And he said, it's amazing how the Lord has changed their lives. And he said, Pastor would just tell me one story after another after another, and three of his Sunday school teachers are former prostitutes. I'm telling you, the grace of God can change a life. And we see this account in the book of Luke about this man who was so miserable it, I mean, he's, he's naked, living in, in the tombs. Chains can't bind him. He's cutting himself. That sound familiar today? No man, the Bible says, could tame him. 
we won't take time to look over at the book of Matthew gives the account where there was actually another man there in those tombs as well. The Bible didn't tell us any more about him. Evidently, he didn't choose to trust Christ. But this man did. But notice the condition of this man. I mean, he's, he's miserable. He's got no peace. And his problem is, like everybody's problem in sin, he's under deception. Because sin is deceiving. Young people, listen to me. I'm an old man, I know. But I'm going to tell you something. I've been at this a long time. I, I just preached a, a camp that we hold every year. had 303 young men there. The devil is a lying deceiver. And what he wants to do is get you to think, hey, you know what, I'm tired. I, I don't like rules, man. I don't like all this pressure on me. I don't like people telling me what to do. You're going to have people tell you what to do all your life. It's just you listen to. But nobody's ever on their deathbed said they were sorry they listened to the Lord. Nobody. Listen, I've been in the ministry 44 years. I've sat at a lot of deathbeds where people were dying. I never had anybody say, I wish I wouldn't have trusted Christ. I wish I wouldn't have, I wish I wouldn't have followed the Bible. The horrible other stories. It's a deception. This, this young man, somewhere along life, he was deceived to think he could figure out a better way. And that's always what the devil wants to do. And he'll drag you into addictions. He'll drag you into misery. He'll drag you into so, so much pride that you won't listen to anybody else. It's a deception. The prodigal son, the scripture tells us about, went to his daddy and said, Hey, dad, I'm going to get that inheritance. I don't want to wait till later. I'm tired of all the rules of the house and all, you know. So give me that inheritance now. The Bible tells us he got his inheritance. His dad didn't want him to have to do that. His dad didn't want him to go off because he knew the, the outcome was going to be. But, but he's not going to, he didn't force himself. And I want to tell you something. God doesn't force himself on you. You're sitting here this morning. You're not sure that you're saved. You've never put your faith and trust in Christ. God won't force himself on you. You've got to make that choice. This preacher isn't going to force it on you. But I'm going to do my best to try to tell you the truth. It is the truth that sets us free. And that prodigal, he went off with his inheritance into this far off country, the Bible tells us. And there the Bible says he wasted his substance in riotous living. It is a wasted life. And finally he's sitting there eating, eating with the hogs. Lowest thing a Jewish boy would ever do. And finally he rises and he says, hey, I got a father back home that loves me. He had it all planned out for me. I was too stupid to listen to him. I'm going to go back. And the Bible says he went back and that loving father was there and ran down as he saw him coming down the road and threw his arms around him. And he called back and said, hey, get a robe and put on him and a ring to put on his finger and shoes to put on his feet and kill the fatted calf. Hey, we're going to have a party. My son who was lost is found. He that, that, that was dead is now alive. And they began to be merry. And I'm telling you, there's a God that loves you this morning far more than this preacher could tell you. The Satan wants to deceive you into thinking there's something better out there than what the Lord has to offer. Look at the condition of this man, the pain he was in. I mean, he had no family. Everybody was afraid to be around him. He had no love. He had no hope. He had no church. Miserable. 
running the tombs naked, cutting himself. I was in high school. There was a boy that, played, that I played ball with. He's, he's a, a big kid and had a lot of, a, a lot of potential in sports. And he's a couple years younger than I was. His dad was a sheriff in our town. And his dad and mom, the whole family, came to our church. And uh, when I graduated from high school, I went off to Bible college. And, and uh, about uh, my senior year of Bible college, I was about to graduate. And my pastor that had been my pastor as a teenager, He'd gone to another church to pastor, and it was growing rapidly. He called me and said, hey, he said, aren't you about to graduate? And I always said, I hope so. And he said, would you consider coming and being my assistant pastor? I need somebody to help me. And I said, man, I'd love to do that if the Lord's in it. And so we ended up going there. I wasn't there long that my pastor said, hey, Tim, you remember Kurt from old church in high school, Kurt Conley? I said, I remember Kurt. He said, you know, I was just here a short time and I was studying one day in my office and he said, I just called out, open the door, it's open. He said, this young man walked in, he's tall, skinny, cheeks were sunken in. He stood in front of my desk and he's shaking, he's trembling. He said, pastor, you remember me? Pastor looked at him and said, man, Kurt, or he said, I'm sorry, I don't remember you. He said, recall my memory. He said, I'm Kurt, Kurt Conley. He said, man, Kurt, I'm so sorry. I just didn't recognize you. He said, his whole body's trembling. Pastor, I remember as a teenager listening to the sermons. I remember the warnings, Pastor. I remember the evangelists, and I remember the, the camps we went to, and I remember all the youth rallies and all that stuff, Pastor. He said, you know, but he said, you know, I, there was so much pressure playing ball and everything. Guys were always saying, come on, Kurt, have a beer. No big deal. We know you go to church, but just try it, you know. He said, I caved in, Pastor. I started drinking a beer, and that, that wasn't satisfying very long. He said, then I started smoking dope with him. He said, that didn't satisfy very long. He's standing there shaking. He said, Pastor, I'm a full-blown heroin addict. If you can't help me, I don't want to go on. The devil's a liar. And here this guy in Luke, the pain he's in, misery, has nobody to love him, powerless to overcome his problem. And I'm going to tell you, you're no match for Satan. But here's the wonderful thing. Here comes a Savior. And our Lord comes across that lake, storm cast there, and you can just mark it down anytime you're trying to win souls to Christ, the old devil's going to kick up a storm. Church trying to win souls to Christ, the old devil's always going to fight. And, but the Lord knew where he was going. And the Lord knew that he was on that other side. And the Lord knew there was a man there that nobody could help, but Jesus could help. And that's why they were going there. My Lord knew when he came here that he was headed to Calvary for you and me because that's our only hope. That's why you, you can't turn over a leaf in life that's going to cover up all your old sin. That has to be paid for. That's why church can't get you to heaven. That's why if you could live perfect from this day forward, wouldn't get you to heaven. 
our sin has to be paid for. There's a holy God that created us. And if we're going to be brought back into a relationship with him where he could bless our life, that sin has to be paid for. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The price for sin is death. And the Bible talks about not only physical death, but eternal death. It's called in Revelation 21, 8, the lake of fire. You say, you one of those hellfire brimstone preachers? I believe the Bible. And the Bible talks about an awful place that we should never, ever get over that people that die without Jesus Christ go to hell forever. Listen, your religion won't keep you out of hell. There's people deceived by religion that think religions, it's not a religion, it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I wouldn't care if there was ever another religion on earth, but we could have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by trusting him, and then we get to have reconciliation we're brought back into fellowship with God Almighty and he can begin to guide our life and bless our life amazing the compassion of this Savior everybody else was scared to go see the man but not Jesus I love where it says that God so loved he didn't just love he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son look at Ephesians chapter 2 with me Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 4. It says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. His great love. He's a merciful God. And I don't know where you're at this morning. But if you're not sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. You don't have to leave this room that way. We're not asking for your money. You can't buy your way out of hell. But there's a Savior that was willing to die for you. He offers you a free gift of eternal life. You have to make the choice to receive that gift or not. And the Bible says we've got to come with a, with a, a, a heart of repentance to trust Him as Savior. But there's a loving, compassionate Savior. I told, told uh, one of my kids recently, I said, nothing has ever so motivated me in my life and even today as to think that God knows everything about me. And even when Jesus went to Calvary, he knew everything I'd ever think, everything I'd ever do, and loved me enough to go to that Calvary for me. Amen. Amazing compassion, amazing love. And he loves you that much. And no preacher is able to, to adequately express how much God loves you this morning. There was an old preacher on his deathbed and a young preacher came to him and said to him, Preacher, all these years you've served God. What's the greatest truth that ever came through your mind? And he looked, picked his head up off his pillow and he looked at that young preacher and he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He loves you this morning. He wants you to be saved and he wants to change your life so you can have a blessed life and it could be a testimony for him. But I want you to know something. Our Lord confronted him about his condition. You see, you got to deal with sin to be saved. You got to be honest with God. You have to admit where you're at. And he said, what's your name? Well, the Lord knew his name. The Lord knew his problem. But you see, you've got to admit your problem. 
You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the, or I'm sorry, in the, the, the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were there, and the Bible says Adam walked with God in the cool of the day, and then, then after they sinned, the Bible tells us that God came looking for Adam. Where art thou, Adam? You don't think God knew where he was? No, but Adam had to admit where he was. I'm telling you, for you to have Bible salvation, you've got to admit where you're at. You've got to admit that you're a sinner, that you deserve an eternity hell. You have to deal with sin to come to the Lord. And that's a problem for a lot of people. We don't want to admit where we're really at. But you can't be saved until you admit how desperately you need a Savior. My old pastor, when I, we were living down south, my pastor, pastor Central Baptist Church of Center, Texas, Brother Danny Dodson, Brother D Dodson would often tell his testimony, and he'd say, you know, he, he'd just gotten out of the Navy. Him and his wife were, were living just worldly, normal, wicked life, and he said his grandmother encouraged him to go to this church, so she went, he went with a, a grandma one time, and he said that was enough of that. And so that Thursday, he said, knock came on his door at the house. He peeked out. He saw it was the preacher from that church. He said he ran locked himself in the bathroom. His wife said, well, he's not available right now. His preacher said, okay, I'll come back another time. He said, next Thursday, knock on the door. I ran for the bathroom. Four weeks in a row, he said, that preacher came by my door. He said, the problem I was hiding from is I didn't want to have to deal with my sin. A lot of times I talk to men that say, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm not interested. I, I, sometimes I'll just look at them and say, what are you afraid of? Us big tough men, you know, who are afraid of the truth. But you see, we have to face the truth until we, for us to get saved. Brother Dodson, finally on that fourth time, he said, I'd fallen asleep on the couch. My wife opened the door. <laughs> Preacher come in and showed him how to be saved, and he got saved. And the Lord changed his life. You have to deal with sin. Then I want you to see the wonderful, precious salvation that came to this, this man. Back there in Luke chapter 8, look at verse 33. Then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. When they that fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. They were afraid. They also saw that which saw it told them by what means that he possessed of the devil was healed. And, and the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him to depart from them. For they were taken with great fear. He went back up into the ship and returned back again. Now the man, notice this, out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away. Notice this. What a change took place in that man. Here he is peacefully sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. You see, when you get saved, there's a change that takes place. It's not, it's not your super Christian overnight. 
We start out as a babe in Christ. We grow in grace and in the knowledge. But there's certainly something in here that changes and said, man, I want things to be better. I want things to, to please the Lord. I want to find out what the truth is. I want to learn. You know, I don't know the difference between Psalm and Poems and Job and Job, but I want to learn what it is. You remember when that happened for you? Has that passion left you along the way? As a Christian, do you still have that hunger? Do you still have that desire? I want you to keep changing me. Lord, I want to learn all that you, I want you to speak to me, Lord. When you get saved, something happens in here. I love, you've had Brother Coral here. I love to hear his testimony. Bouncer in two bars, got saved, called that night, told the, the boss, hey, I'm not coming in. The guy said, what happened? You sick? He said, no, I got saved. He said, you coming back tomorrow night? He said, no, you don't understand. I got saved and I'm not coming back. There was a change. A change takes place. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Now suddenly this man is humble, holy, and happy. Then I want you to notice his commitment. He said, Lord, I don't want to depart. But where you're at, I want to be there, Lord. I just want to be with you. You know, when you're truly born again, something, man, Lord... I, I, don't, I don't want to miss church. When's the next service, preacher? Man, I got a lot to learn. Lord, what is what revival meeting every night? Man, I get to learn more about my Savior that loved me enough to die for me. There becomes a commitment. I'm telling you, I travel all over the country by the grace of God. I'm in churches. People ask me all the time, what do you see as problems with our churches? I'm telling you, it's apathy. There's a lack of passion. There's a lack of urgency. There's a lack of vision. What happened to that desire when we got saved to say, Lord, I want to be all you want me to be. I want you to use me. I've got friends. I've got loved ones that are going to hell. Lord, how can I serve you and be used? There was a commitment. And then there was a commission given. The Lord said, no, I want you to leave because you need to go back home. And tell everybody what great things I've done for you. You see, that's why we're still here. We have a commission. Those of us that have been saved. You see, Jesus makes a difference in us so we could make a, be a difference maker for somebody else. Ought to be somebody on our heart. Ought to be somebody that we're thinking, Lord, I want to get them to the meeting this week. Maybe, maybe they'll come. They haven't come any other time, but maybe they'll come this time and, and hear the gospel and get saved. Maybe I could get a chance to sit down and talk to him about Jesus. I mean, when we get saved, there's something in us wants others to know the Lord. My precious, beautiful wife, hopefully she'll be here tonight. When she got saved, she was 16 years of age. It was in the 70s, you know, the hippie era. She is wild like everybody. and She goes over to her girlfriend. They were like sisters, and it was Sunday afternoon, and, and, and she goes over to see her, her friend Paula, and she, Paula opens the door, and Paula's weeping. And Janelle said, Paula, what's wrong? She said, you know, I went to church this morning, and I got saved. My wife said, you what? She said, I got saved. 
She said, I'm going back tonight. You want to go with me? She said, yeah, I guess so. I'll go with you. My wife went back that Sunday night and she got saved. 16 years of age. Everything started changing. You see, my wife grew up in a home where her daddy was a hard worker and made good money. Worked construction, helped build bridges, helped build the big house at the University of Michigan. Made good money, but he, would, he had a gambling problem. And every weekend, Friday night, when he got his check, the family wouldn't see him until Monday. He'd come home, been drinking, and lost all the money, and he'd take it out on her mom and was very abusive. And my wife grew up with great resentment towards her daddy. But something happened. When my wife got saved, something happened. And suddenly she wanted her daddy to get saved. She started working on her daddy. Her daddy came to church and heard the gospel and her daddy got saved. And you know what her daddy said? Honey, we got to go down to East, Eastern Kentucky where I'm from. I got a whole bunch of family. I want you to tell them how to be saved like I got saved. You have that? We're left here for a reason. There's somebody you work with. There's somebody you live next door. There's somebody that you, that, that you know. There's family members lost. We're here to win them. It's hard to win them if there's not a change in our life that can give a testimony of what the Lord has done for us. Maybe some of us ought to start out the revival this morning coming to an altar as a Christian and saying, Dear Lord, I'm not sure anybody sees much of a change in me. I'm not sure that my testimony to somebody trying to win them is that they're even going to listen much. They don't see much difference in me. Lord, change what it needs to be changed. There's some of us that know how to lead a soul to Christ, and over the years we've gotten distracted with life. It's been a long time since we sat down with anybody and opened up a New Testament and showed them the precious, wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ and how they could be saved. Remember Andrew came to Jesus, turned around, he went and got his brother Peter. It's just the Bible Christian way. Folks, we need to get back to Bible Christianity. You're here to, this morning, you're not sure if you died you'd go to heaven. You can't look at a, at a place that you were at when somebody showed you how to trust Christ and with a sincere heart you called and asked the Lord to save you. You're not sure that's happened. Please, in just a few minutes when we give the invitation, come. Nobody's going to force you to do anything, but, but it'd be wise for you to look at the Scripture. We'll have somebody trained in the Bible, show you from the Bible in just a few minutes how that you could put your faith and trust in Christ and leave here knowing when you lay your head on your pillow tonight, you know where you're going to go. How, how, how horrible to walk out and not know that. Those of us that are saved, have we gotten over what the Lord's done for us? You see, we're all in the same boat. We're all just sinners. We're all without hope till we trust Christ. So now that the Lord has saved you, does He have you available to have a testimony to win others? Maybe there's a whole bunch of us that are saved need to come and say, Dear Lord, along the way, I've lost the passion. I've lost that commitment. Lord, there's things in my life that I know aren't the right testimony. Lord, I haven't been very committed to trying to win others to Christ. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, we love you this morning. Thank you.